Welcome to the Be Glad Movement. My name's Pollyanna and I'm on a mission to bring you as many stories as possible of good coming out of bad and reasons to be glad. In this episode, I talk to Faye Kilgore. I think this interview is important for the times we find ourselves living through at the moment. This is a very open and honest account of a time when Faye suffered with her mental health and anxiety. At no point does Faye try to dress down her privileged position and I commend her for that because the message truly is that it doesn't matter how much the outside world thinks you do or don't have, illness is illness. I know incredibly fit and strong people struck down with cancer. Physical fitness doesn't ensure we're immune to physical ailments, so why should money and the trappings of what many would consider a gifted life mean that a person is immune to mental illness? Look, I'm no angel and I'll be the first to admit that in the past I've come out with statements like, hmm, what have they got to be worried about, etc. But as time has passed and my own demons have come to challenge me, the more I know that you just cannot judge others. We simply have no idea what people have gone through, what they grew up with and how life has impacted them. Anyway, without further ado, let's hand over to Faye. Hi. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Faye, I'm going to just let you dive straight in and tell your story. So over to you. Thank you. Um, And firstly, thank you for having me. It was so lovely. When I saw you post on Instagram, I thought I just had to get involved. So... Yes, very grateful to be here. Um, Where to start with the story? I guess the start of it for me was really when I was working as a personal assistant. I want to say five years ago now, but the years are going terribly fast. I think it's more like seven. Um, I loved my job and there was just something that was eating away saying, there's more, there's more, what can you do? Um, And I spent a few years, or at least one or two years, I think, going out to networks, meeting anyone I could, having coffee with everyone, really to kind of find out what my purpose was, what was I kind of here to do. And I'm very lucky through um, lots of personal development courses and um, speaking to lots of people, going to lots of events, which I loved. I really do get my energy from spending time with people. Mm -hmm. I discovered that what I wanted to do was impact education. And I found out about this thing called coaching, which up until then I had never heard of. And I found two women running an amazing company who were training teachers in coaching. So, hmm, I think that's what I want to do. So whilst I was working as a PA, I went off, trained as a coach, and then jumped ship. There I was, having just done my coaching qualification, had stepped into what was, I guess, almost a new startup. They'd been going for a few years. And was up at the front of the room, training teachers, coaching one-to-one. It was incredible. And I really felt like I'd found my thing. Cool. I guess what I learned over that year that I worked for them was, it's tough working for a small startup. Um, I hadn't quite realised. And I think the signs that it was tough that I wasn't noticing were, I'd become teary at almost anything. I'd met almost the day that I joined the company. I'd met my then boyfriend, now husband. And we argued all the time. I was tearful at things that were quite unnecessary. And I remember him coming home one day. I'd spend a lot of time on my Mac at my desk because we had no office. There was no need with just two of us. And I remember him saying to me, I think you're lonely. I was like, I don't know what you mean. I'm fine. I love, you know, getting up when I want and going to bed when I want and all this kind of free reign to do as I please. Uh I think 
what I hadn't noticed, the structure of the nine to five and seeing hundreds of people a day in the huge corporate I was working in and having a canteen and stationary cupboards and kind of everything at my disposal. Mm. I think working from home and only really communicating via email, it was lonely. And if I wasn't by myself, I was then training, which I really loved, but has, it's stressful. You don't know what you're going to be up against. Um, training people in coaching is challenging. There's always that bit at the beginning where there's quite a lot of resistance. Seeing them move from that is just magical. But you kind of, you don't know for those 48 hours what's going to come up. So I think the thing between being completely alone and yeah. then in kind of a stressful environment um, with groups of people, I don't think I'd notice what an impact that had had. On oh. top of and anyone in a, a startup or a small company will know you have to know how to do everything. And I'd gone from being a personal assistant to having to draft content for websites, redesign courses. Um, and whilst we all supported each other, of course, we all had different skill sets. And Gosh. I think crept in was a lot of insecurity around not being able to do anything. Was I good enough? Was this the job for me? Was I supposed to be doing something else? And I think... All of that probably rumbled away under the surface, but I had no idea. I wasn't consciously thinking about that. Right. From the point, I think, it must have been close to a year of working for them. And I remember having another teary conversation with my mum about something. And I remember her saying, Fair, I, think, I think it might be time to stop and maybe take a break and, and reevaluate. And I've always been someone who loves a plan. I always like to know the next step, what's going to happen. And the thought of, both leaving a company that I loved and then not knowing what next was very daunting, but I think and it happened quite sudden. Um, I can't, I, yeah, again, it was another conversation with my mum and I think she'd heard it enough times to then say, do you know what? Like enough's enough. I don't think you well, you're not, you know, this is too much to kind of just be a period of stress. And actually, very much unlike me, I handed my notice in and finished. Interestingly, after a clean year, it was a really kind of, I'd almost left the day that I joined. Okay. Um, and yeah, it was a very strange time. I think at, at the end, I was quite relieved. I was like, okay, you weren't right. Something, you know, there was something kind of either with you or the role or the combination of the two. Sure. And at first, I was very positive. I was like, great. I did my LinkedIn. I did my CV. I did all that stuff. And for a few weeks, that was fine. I was kind of very proactive. Uh-huh. And then kind of suddenly panicked because actually, whilst there's lots of coaching work out there, just having a year's experience wasn't a lot. And there's no, um, there's no standard nine to five job with a coach. And I think in our society, and I'm trying to get used to the idea of not, but I think we're addicted to the idea of a salary. Sure. So, thought of all this associate work and kind of not knowing what was coming in um, wasn't what I wanted to do. I'm uh-huh. so very fortunate that my family were able to support me and say, look, we'll pay the rent, take a breather, work out what you need to do, which is not something everybody has. So that was a huge blessing. That pressure was taken off. But what then crept in was what I can now name as anxiety. But then I had no idea. So of course it was a bit strange being home a lot and without the job and kind of trying to come to terms with the ending of the last company and think about what's next. Yeah. But what the anxiety started to show as was really incessant, crazy thoughts that had no real grounding, but felt very real. Uh-huh. So 
well, I'd get a text from a male friend I'd known for ages, and suddenly I'd be like, oh my God, what if my boyfriend sees this? Oh my God, he's going to think I'm cheating on him. Oh my God. And it would just escalate. And now looking back, it was like, wow, where did that come from? But at the time, whatever the thought I'd grabbed was, felt so real. And the anxiety kind of became this, like this needing to confess, because if I didn't confess, the world was going to end. Sure. Um, and at the beginning, it was centered mainly around my relationship with my partner, which perhaps because he was the closest thing to me, I'm not sure. And what was amazing was he was brilliantly supportive. I'd come with my crazy, like, oh my God, I need to tell you this, I need to tell you this. And very luckily, he was always like, it's okay, that, that's not a big deal, that's fine. And then I think what that slowly manifested into as the weeks grew that I wasn't working, was just being scared to be at home. There was something about kind of just sitting on the sofa. Sometimes it felt like the walls were closing in which oh. I totally suffered from that. If someone described it to me, I'd be like, oh, you just need to get out of the house, go for a nice walk, have a cup of tea. Um, but at the time, yeah, it was terrifying. And I think it was after New Year's, sadly with a stonking hangover, not surprisingly, which of course exacerbates everything. Um, I remember phoning my mum, my partner was away um, with his family at Christmas and she came up and stayed for four days. And my mum's um, a therapist, so quite, familiar with all of this kind of stuff thank god it wasn't new to her and the whole thing the whole kind of concept of antidepressants was mentioned i remember mm -hmm. thinking oh my god like is it that bad and i'm i, I don't hold a strong opinion either way about antidepressants because i've never had to take them um so for those who do it really is whatever works for you but i think it was like i just finished a job why is it like this why and even if mum's kind of agreeing with this it must be quite serious and I made the decision that until my partner came home, I didn't want to make the decision to go on antidepressants. And I think I've always had a strong belief, unless it's a hugely medical thing, there's so many other factors that contribute to that emotion that learning how to do it that way would be yeah. so much better. He came home, we had the conversation and it just didn't feel right. It wasn't the right move for me at that time. And of course it was always an option later. And I think what then made it all so much worse was, so I kind of understood maybe this was anxiety, maybe it wasn't, um, I was finding things tough. I think what drove me further into the ground was then comparing myself. Right. Of, you're a young woman, you know, the world is your oyster, your parents are paying your rent, my God, who has, you know, who gets to take three months to have like a mini crisis um, and take some time off work? Mm -hmm. all of that you know you've had friends that have lost family you have people that are homeless you know all of that I just kind of felt like this little princess that why on earth do you feel like this yeah and yet feelings were still so extreme so I think even as I I've listened to various podcasts and some of your stories and you hear people share and you think oh my god like how you dealt with this like it's amazing you've come through and I think that only further exacerbated why do you feel like this? Like, you shouldn't feel like this. You're not allowed to feel like this. People go uh -huh. through words. Um, and I think that's what kept me stuck for, for quite a period of time, was knowing that it shouldn't be like this. Yeah. So it, was, um, it was a tough time. And again, even as I say that, I think, oh, but people have had tougher. And I think a lot of people naturally go to that place. Yeah, do you know what's springing up for me is almost that 
sometimes I, I definitely don't want to say it's easier when you've got it harder that's not what I mean but it's almost the less options that you've got you've, you've got to power on through but when when you the world is your oyster it's sort of well which way should I go and, I, and I've got to choose something and um whatever I choose has got to work because I kind of owe it to all these people that are being so lovely to me um so I totally I value what you're saying I appreciate what you're saying I, I, and I believe in you if that makes sense I but I you know because I, I I know where you're coming from when you're saying it's very hard to feel like that when you've got so much because you feel like other people that have got less are going to be looking at you and saying grow up love or what you know what like that kind of stuff um you've got it easy um but our minds are, are crazy wonderful things that can really play tricks on us can't they and they can really it, you I, you know i think from what i'm hearing it sounded like you felt really guilty about your sort of privileged position for want of a better word if that makes sense um so sorry, I'm, <laughs> that's, that's my reflection on what you've just said. I can totally, I can totally relate because there's times when I felt down and I've thought, oh, come on, you've got a roof over your head, da, 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 you know, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. So, sorry, I'll let you get back into your story. So how did things sort of turn around for you? It, no, it's really interesting to hear what you say because I think a part of me wanting to share the story was if I felt like that, there must be hundreds of other people that do, that sit yeah. in their kind of great positions with their great families and still feeling kind of quite unwell. Mm. I think the turning point for me was having that break, even though it's almost felt like that break brought it on. But I think if it didn't come on, then it would have come out in another way. Right. I was trying when I knew I was kind of, we were going to be speaking about this. I was like, what was the turning point? I think time is a big piece. Mm. I happen to be... I'd already started therapy even before I left my job, which again, I think was a sign things. I wasn't feeling quite myself. That continued. I kept that relationship probably only for about three or four months, I think. But that was just enough. It was just somewhere to go with kind of all the crazy just to get it out loud. So I'm a huge advocate for any kind of therapy, um, I think is really important. Mm -hmm. I think the second bit for me was I picked up uh, The Universe Has Your Back by Gabby Bernstein. Oh, which yeah. is a book, anyone who doesn't know it, is, um, I guess, about a bigger power, whether you call it God or the universe, everyone kind of terms it differently. And it was just something that, I'd always had a feeling there was something bigger. I'm not, you know, a believer in coincidence. I think things happen for a reason. And this book just put words to that, but also had meditations and things to listen to. And it was just something, it was like my little buddy. Right. No one else needed reading it although it turns out hundreds of thousands of other people were and had done um and started started me on a practice of both literally breathing and breathing well in those kind of moments and also started a meditation practice um i can't say i've ever been like religiously regular about my meditation but uh -huh. that introduction of those moments of stillness made a huge difference and i think I kind of went back to what I was doing before. So when I was looking for my purpose, I was spending lots of time networking, meeting people. And I guess I found my online version of that. So there's a wonderful woman, woman called Connie Chapman, and she runs an online course called Slow Down and Tune In. And it was just enough kind of development with the kind of spiritual angle that I loved. So it was all about meditation and listening to yourself and using your breath. 
And I think slowly all of these things I started to integrate. And alongside that, I think I've always been conscious. Um, the products that I use ethically, kind of all the chemicals, lots of things. Um, I think I'd almost put too much pressure on myself. I was like, I want to eat everything clean and I want to only have no chemicals in the house and da da da. And that came with its own kind of pressure. Sure. But I did slowly get into things like essential oils and crystals. I kind of can't really argue for the science of these things, but what felt really good was I was doing something more holistic to try and both feel better, but also increase my wellness. So I loved diffusing oils in the house, having crystals everywhere. That was a nice surprise. For my partner coming home, he said to me, what are those rocks? I was like, they're not rocks, they're crystals. <laughs> so they're out everywhere. You might be able to see up on the shelf. So I think just slowly discovering that part of myself, I think had always been there that was really curious about kind of health and wellness and holistic things. Um, yeah, coupled with the spirituality was really what kind of slowly, I think, lifted me out, which was amazing. Awesome. So by sl like using the title of that other lady's course, Slowing Down and Tuning In, you were able to sort of find your, uh, you have found your purpose now. Do you feel you found your purpose now? Well, interestingly, what led me post leaving the last job and knowing that my kind of trade was being a coach but really I wanted to learn more I went again for a very fortuitous coffee with um, a woman at London South Bank University who I'd run some training at previously and she mentioned that if you study work for a university they help you study it's like, hmm. and I think for the last 10 years I've been curious about doing a psychology degree um, and it was the perfect time I have no children, no mortgage. I'm in a really supportive relationship. He's also studying. He's just completed a PhD. So it felt like the perfect time to engage in something like that. So now I'm doing a psychology degree. I'm in my second year. That's been a big surprise. Academia was a whole new world wow. um, with the aim of going towards positive psychology. It's something I've always been interested in um, and really working in the preventative end. And I think the gift of the anxiety is no longer just thinking people who talk about depression and anxiety are just feeling a bit sadder, that actually mm -hmm. it can feel really extreme. And I know mm -hmm. I only, you know, experienced a pocket of that for quite a short period of time. And knowing that there are many people who live with that on a daily basis and sometimes for years, I think I'm fascinated mm -hmm. with. Can you? I'm sorry. Can you hear? Oh my goodness! It, the timing is terrific. I'm I'm sorry that you can hear it because it's really loud on this end, and I'm just wondering. We'll carry on, but if when I if when I watch this back, it's really awful. We might have to reschedule. <laughs> I only about five seconds. I think that it caught you. So we'll see. Oh, okay, cool. Sorry about that. Say what you just said again. <laughs> what did I say? What was I talking about? Uh, um, yeah, I was always interested in positive psychology. So my psychology degree is a, an amazing gateway to that and a foundation. And just interested in working rather than the reactive end of kind of treatment, really working at the preventative end. And I think Ooh. what I found most powerful about this kind of this part of the journey, but also several years ago, I engaged in um, lots of personal development courses. Uh, I was kind of a, a course junkie, if I'm honest. I just wanted to go and learn and kind of experience anything. Yeah. And I think what was most powerful about all of the things I did 
was knowing that you could change your perspective and the story you were telling yourself was probably 98% not true. And I think even having those foundations of, hold on a minute, you're having this conversation with yourself, but how much is true? And also being able to shift perspective, I think is one of the most powerful things. And talking about it's one thing, actually doing it is another. So I think really engaging in kind of different practices and training, I think is really important. Definitely, I totally agree with you. Have you heard of um, Katie Byron? You've no, I, I feel like I want to. <laughs> oh, yeah. So what you just said about asking whether your conversations are really true, that's totally Katie Byron. That's sort of like her, her whole sort of thing is um, if you're having a down time, just sort of say to yourself, is it true? You know, is it really true? Um, and, and really question yourself. Um, so I think you'd, you'd love her work. Um, but I love that you're more interested in the pre- preventative side and the getting to people before they go down that black rabbit hole kind of thing. Because um, that's a lot of what I'm sort of trying to get across with the Be Glad movement is um, putting the, the Glad game into practice every day and sort of accepting that, the, that bad stuff happens, but just trying to sort of always keep yourself on the positive path um and it's about building those mental resilience muscles if you like so that when really big serious stuff does happen you're probably a little bit more attuned to being able to to be resilient in those situations so i love that and i think interestingly what i hear and what you say is often when you're at your worst those practices are the hardest there's no way during the kind of wrapped fear and anxiety I would have sat in silence for 10 minutes listening to peaceful music. And I think what I've learned is, and maybe in line with some advice and maybe against others, is actually to put those practices in when you feel well so that they're a go-to when you don't. Because unfortunately, yeah. to implement all that stuff when you don't feel very good is really difficult. But kind of feeling the benefits on a daily basis when you feel well I think you then, it's not such a new thing to have to engage in on kind of the harder days or the, the bad days, if you will. Totally, totally. Cool. So how long is a psychology degree? So you're two years in now. How long have you got left? So I am, we're just into our second year. But I say just into, we're now almost halfway through the semester and we have exams in January. So um as hard as uni has been, the academic year is quite short. They cram quite a lot into that period. Right. Um, so by the end of June next year, will be the end of my second year. And then off into the third. Um, I keep asking myself, do I really want to do a master's afterwards? But actually what I came for was to do that master's. So it's quite, um, I think that's kept me going, knowing I want to study further um, has really been a push on the days that I haven't wanted to stick my head into a textbook or read journals or articles. Sure, sure. And are you finding it quite, because it sounds like a quite heavy going type of degree. Is it, are you enjoying it or, you know, are you, you're still focused that that is what you want to do? I'm definitely sure it's what I want to do. Um, what I've learned is, what I loved about my coaching training, it was like someone had gone off and done all of the research and stuff for you and presented you with these really lovely skills that were really useful. Um, mm-hmm. The psychology degree has done is really drilled down into what's the theory, who said it, how valid is it, and really learning to criticize it, which has been a whole new skill. I'm 31, I stopped at college, I didn't have a degree before I entered this. 
So simply constructing an essay again has been a whole new challenge. So it's the fascination of psychology has almost been overridden by all the technical stuff that you have to do at university. Okay. I've already noticed a difference in the way that I think, in the way that I criticise things. So I think, um, and yeah, I'm not, I don't think I found anyone who's shown up to university like, yes, I love every minute. This is fascinating. Because everything <laughs> fascinating you learn, you have to then go away and read and say that it is or isn't true and find lots of um, different research. So definitely on the right path. Um, challenging, but I think anyone at university would tell you that. Um, yeah. And what I've loved is actually coming back a bit later. I look around and I think some of the 18 year olds, how they have the discipline to work and show up and kind of get involved I wouldn't have had that maturity at 18 I think no. I've been far the opposite so I think coming back at this age has been amazing I have much more focus and determination which is great I am um, when I was at uni there were older students and they worked the hardest I think because they've been in the real world and they knew what it was like to be out in the work real world and so they put a lot more effort in than I did when I was 18 someone put out it <laughs> yeah so. Yes, I'm glad it was this way around, for sure. <laughs> oh, Faye, well, thank you so much for joining us and telling us your story, because I am sure there's going to be lots of people that, um, that can relate to this story, and just like you, have had those feelings of, of guilt, like they're not entitled to have mental health issues because they've got everything going for them. Um, I'm 100% sure you're not the only one in that respect. So thank you for um, thank you for being brave and and showing up and, and telling it because it is I I personally have been very brave telling that story because there's so many people that are like oh, I'm not allowed to feel like that but it's it's very true for a lot of people and by putting your story out there they'll be able to say oh me too you know I'm not the only one so brilliant thank you. Personally, I feel Faye was very selfless and brave to tell her story. I know there are many people out there who feel like they aren't entitled to feel the way they do, especially from the military community. And I mean the people that had complex PTSD before they even entered the services. Then they found safety and structure in the armed forces, only to suffer again when they found themselves back in Civvy Street. And then they think they aren't allowed to feel bad because maybe they never went to a war zone or got a leg blown off. Don't compare yourself to others. Please don't compare yourself to others. If you're feeling bad, reach out for help and talk about how you're feeling. And of course, if I'm going to direct you anywhere, my favourite, as always, being the Samaritans. Their free phone from the UK on 116123. That number again is 116123. And it's fine to call before you feel suicidal. You don't have to feel suicidal to call the Samaritans. In fact, we'd rather you rang before you got to that point. If you liked this episode, please do like and share it with anyone who you feel may benefit from hearing it. As always, I'm looking for more people to interview. So if you know anybody who's got a story to share, then please do get in touch. And it doesn't matter if it's a story that's similar to somebody else's. I really do believe your story in your voice has the ability to help someone in their time of need. So please do get in touch. The conversation continues over on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. So if you'd like to make a comment, please do come over and leave your thoughts and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. I'd love to hear from you. 
With so much love, you've been listening to Faye Kilgore, Pollyanna and the Be Glad Movement. Until next time, look after yourselves and look after each other.